The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Let me just pray before we start. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness. Thank you, Father, for yet another opportunity to come to your house, to worship you, to seek your face. Lord, we pray, come among your people. Lord, let the heavens be opened. Lord, let your glory be revealed. Let the majesty that is you come among your people. Captivate our hearts with the knowledge of your glory. Let us be in awe of your majesty. Holy Spirit, come and do your work amongst us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that this may be a place where you would abide, where you would stay, where you would remain, where you would accomplish the work that you want to accomplish amongst us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we're continuing this morning with our series in Romans. We've been looking at Romans over the last few weeks, and uh, I suppose the journey so far is this. If you have been here, then you would have heard this. Otherwise, I'm just recapping, I suppose. Uh, Paul has been teaching us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, actually, I know you might think like, well, tell me about it. (laughs) You know, we've all told a white lie. (laughs) Gosh, we've all done something a little bit naughty. Why are you looking at me as if that's not true? Okay? That's the sort of situation we're all in. But you see, it's not just that Paul's saying, oh, you told a little white lie. The point that Paul is trying to get across or has been trying to get across is the fact that every one of us is utterly corrupt and that there is nothing good in us. Now, that doesn't, doesn't sit that well, does it, really? Paul even says of himself in Romans 7 verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. So yes, we are utterly corrupt. That's you. That's me. We're utterly corrupt. And yes, I am talking to all of us. I know that we may think, well, what, me? No, 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 surely not. You don't understand. I have been to every carol service over the last 15 years. Well, that doesn't actually make any difference. You know, well, no, not me. My mum has been in the choir for the last 17 years. So that, that also doesn't do it as far as God is concerned. What me? I've looked after so many cats and dogs and rescued animals. That's not what it's about. In our hearts, we're all sinners. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Paul says in Romans 3, verses 10 to 12, he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So at least let's just absorb that into ourselves. Okay. And it is helpful 
very helpful on reaching God, of connecting with God, if we truly understand this. Last time I spoke, I, I, I said that of myself, I still come to this place where you think, like, actually, I'm not that bad. <laughs> okay, I've done the odd thing wrong, but let's be honest. Compared to so-and-so, I'm like a saint. That's not what we're talking about. Before Almighty God, every one of us is in the same position. That is what the Bible is teaching. But listen to this. What we were unable to get out of, what we were unable to change, the position that we're in, that, that has been m- the statement that has been made over us, what we, weren't a- ened- we had no ability to change that, God has stepped in and he has done something about it. Romans 3, 21 and 22, but now, says Paul, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We were utterly corrupt, totally unworthy before God, but God has acted to help us. He sent Jesus to save us, and we can receive his righteousness by faith. That is what Paul is teaching. Now, last week, Kevin looked at chapter 4 of Romans and the example of Abraham's faith. He, who against all odds, he still believed in God, and it said it was credited to him as righteousness. So our journey brings us through all of these things with that basic understanding behind us to chapter 5, which is where we're going to dig into this week. And chapter 5 starts with a wonderful statement. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks with a great confidence about the position that we have before God. And if you noticed, he uses the past tense. It's not like this is something we're hoping for that could arrive in the future. He is talking about what has happened and the position that we're standing in. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We are justified. Was this anything we did of ourselves? No, it's not. Nothing. This is purely a result of what God has done on our behalf and we take hold of it by believing in it. Justification, this phrase justification, let me just remind us of what that means. It's the language of the courtroom. It's legal talk, if you like. Being justified means I am given right standing before God. Jesus, who was a perfect human being, died on our behalf on the cross, thereby satisfying God's standard of justice And our sin was atoned for. That means that God is completely satisfied that all of our deficiencies before him, they have been fully made up for. Justified. This is a little phrase which we can remember it. Justified just as if I'd never sinned. Justified just as if I had never sinned. I am made right. 
I am made acceptable in God's sight. Now, most religions, you know, look upon the whole of our lives or the whole of life as a testing ground. So it's not until you get to the end of your life, having lived your life, were you good enough? Did you meet up to the right standard? Have you made it? And then there's a reflection back, well, I don't know, you better come back as another animal. You better come back as something else to have another go. There's a sense in which other religions look at things like that, but that's not so with God. If we have faith in what he has done through Jesus, then we are justified now. We are justified now. We haven't got to wait until the end of our lives to find out, well, did I make it? Was I good enough? Did I do the right things? By faith in Jesus Christ, we can gain right standing before God now. And everyone who has put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins is standing in that position right now. We have been justified. We have peace with God now. Peace with God. You know, it's often at Christmas time when peace is spoken of. You know, peace, goodwill to all men. You're supposed to be nice to everybody. Everybody wants to have a happy time. Let there be no arguments. Let it all be peaceful. Truth is, not always like that. But nevertheless, isn't it nice for us to proclaim it? But you know what? It's not that type of peace that Paul is talking about. It's not just simply the cessation of arguments or hostilities. It's more than that. It's that now we are completely in right relationship with God. It's not like he's got a huff with us and it's like, you know, oh, we made a, a, an attempt at saying sorry and all right, well, I sort of heard that and we'll try and work it out. You know, like that awkwardness in relationships that we can all know, whether it be relationships in our household or with colleagues, we can know those feelings. That's not with God. He says, right, because of Jesus, you are made right with me. And our relationship now is completely open. You have been justified. You have been made right with me just as if you had never sinned. Peace with God. We're completely in right relationship with God. How is this possible? Well, as we have seen, it's nothing to do with our own merit. It's nothing that we have done because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So our confidence cannot lie in ourselves. But as Abraham discovered, justification is not a wage that we earn, but rather a gift we need to receive. We are justified freely by his grace. Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I pray that God would help us to understand this, that even right at the beginning of our Christian lives, we need to understand that we are secure in the fact that God is for us, not against us. And we should pray, Lord, help us to see the security that we have in the love that you have for us. God has done it all. He's done it all. But we need to go to him. We need to walk with him. We need to continue to listen to him. And he will guide us and help us each step of the way. So, what Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because of what Jesus has done. Not only do we have peace with God, but we stand in grace. We stand in grace. Verse 2 goes on to say, through him, that is through Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What is grace? Grace is seen as God's free and unmerited favor. That is, that God gives his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness to us freely. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But you know, he gives us this gift which we can receive. If you have children, there are times that your children are naughty. And therefore you get frustrated with them. But you know as a parent, though that is a situation, you've got to deal with that situation, you might have to tell them off or whatever, in your heart you are still for them and you want the best for them. You know it. So it's like, you know, Christmas Eve, they're very, very naughty. But you know on Christmas Day you still want to give them a present because you love them. That is gracious behavior. It's overlooking. You, they don't deserve it. For goodness sake, you, you, you ruined the turkey, but we're still going to have a good Christmas anyway. You, they don't deserve, but they're still given that because of the love that they have. We need to understand, and I don't believe, I look at myself, I don't think I fully understand the love that God has for us while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, while we were estranged from him, while we were pointing the finger at him and not wanting to have anything to do with him, he came to rescue us. That is love. It's unmerited favor that God has shown to us. And that is what his grace is. We don't deserve it. After all, we were enemies of God. But he has loved us with his unconditional love and he has brought us into this place of grace. He's brought us into this place of grace. The verse says that we have obtained access to this place of grace. But you know what? In saying we've obtained access, it almost sounds like, hey, it's something that I've done. I've managed to get access. I found the key to the door. I've passed it on to a few other people. I found access. That isn't really how this verse should be translated because it's nothing to do with us. We haven't done it. It's the truer understanding would be God has given us an invitation to his grace. He's given an invitation to us to come in. There was nothing that we could do to find this grace. We needed his help so that we could find it. But now we've not just got an introduction to that grace. It's not just as though God says like, oh, by the way, I'd like to show you my grace. He's gone beyond that. It says, it's not that we've got an uh, introduction to grace. It says that we now stand in it. Since we have been justified by faith, we stand in grace. This is the place justified believers stand in. It's not could stand, not should stand, or would like to stand. This is where we do stand. Oh, but I don't feel as though that's true. I don't know whether that's... Because, you know, I, I look at my life and I see the things that I do wrong. How could this possibly be true? How could it be that God has been so gracious to me? How? And it's the sense of like, I want to believe it, but I'm looking at myself. Oh, gosh. On a good day, we say, yes, that's lovely. Thank you very much. 
on a bad day, we say, like, not quite so sure about this. Listen, this is where we have to let facts lead the way. Where we have to let truth lead the way. Where we have to work on our relationship with God and say, Lord, this is what you have said. Help me to come into an understanding of it. Help me to walk in this. Help me to receive on it. We need to work on our relationship with God, our trust and our confidence in him so that we can actually get our feelings sorted out. Because regardless of how we feel, this is what God has said is true. We have peace with God. We stand in his grace. Thirdly, it goes on to say, or Paul goes on to say, that we rejoice in our hope of the glory of God. Therefore, I'll just repeat these verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let me just remind you what God is like. He is faithful and he fulfills his promises. For instance... Let me just give you an example. And the reason I want to give you these examples is just to build our confidence. Because God says, if we're rejoicing in our hope, what is this hope that we're talking about? Our glorious hope is that Jesus is coming back to reveal everything of who he is to us and to allow us to be with him forever. That is the glorious hope of which we're talking about. But how can we be sure of that? God makes promises. Look at the promises that God made. You heard Kevin talking about the promises that God made to Abraham last week. Abraham was told he was going to have a son. He does have a son with his servant or his wife's servant. Ishmael is born. But then God says to him, listen, <laughs> you don't understand. This is not the way to do it. You're supposed to be having a son with your wife. A son of your own flesh and blood is going to be your heir, is what he's told. Look up at the sky, Abraham is told. Count the stars. We can imagine on a clear night, you don't just see one or two. Well, you do see one or two to start off with, but then you see more, and then you see more, and then you see more. And you can imagine, wow. So it's not just one, two, three, four, five. And you, there's many, many. So shall your offspring be, Abraham is told. But you see, Abraham was 100 years old. His wife is 90. She's barren. She's never been able to have children. You know the story. Kevin told us last week. But the, we also know that God did what he promised he would do. He promises. He fulfills. We see that in Abraham. We see it in the life of a man, a synagogue leader in the New Testament called Jairus. Jesus is going with Jairus to heal his very sick daughter. There's an urgency about it because this daughter is near to death. And so therefore, Jesus, come on. I need you to come. I need you to come and see my daughter. And as they're on the way to see this daughter, the news comes from Jairus' friends. Forget it. She's dead. She's dead. You can imagine what it must have felt like for Jairus in his heart. So I was like, oh, we should have hurried more. What? You're thinking of all sorts of things. But, but Jesus turns to Jairus and he says this. Hearing this, hearing this news that's coming to Jairus. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus. Jesus said 
to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And she will be healed. When I read that, I'm thinking of the circumstances. You've just been told. You knew how sick she was. And now you've been told your daughter is dead. And yet this guy, Jesus, is just saying, hey, trust, believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. There's a hopelessness and yet there's a hope. But whatever happens, Jesus drives forward. They get to the house. They find people all wailing and stuff because they know that she's dead. And so now they're going through this grieving process, which is of their communities. But Jesus goes in. He goes into where the girl is with, his mom, with her mum and dad. And he speaks to the little girl. Little girl, get up. And she did. And was presented alive and well to her mum and dad. When Jesus speaks, when God's promises, he fulfills on his promise, even against difficult circumstances. And then there's Paul. Paul in Acts 23, verse 11, he is told by God that he has got to go from Jerusalem to testify about God in Rome. He is told that that is going to happen. Some two years later, when he's actually on the boat, he's on the boat, he's going to the place. God has said, you are going to Rome. He is on the boat and we're going to Rome. We're on the way. But then this mega storm comes up. Such a terrific storm, it's going on for day after day. So bad that Luke, who records Acts for us, he writes this, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Uh, Does that sound like you got to the end of things? Of course they got to the end of things. We gave up all hope of being saved. That's it. We're going to die. But Paul had been told by God, You're going to testify about me in Rome. But what about this situation that I'm facing right now? Paul, he was holding on to what God says. There comes a time which you can read of in Acts 27 where Paul says to the crew, Last night an angel of of God... uh, Sorry, let me read that again. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And although the boat was broken up, everybody on board survived and got to shore. When God speaks, when God issues a promise, he keeps his word. It doesn't talk about the length of time between when he spoke and when that fulfillment is. But in the scriptures, over and over and over again, we are led to the place that when God says something, he means it. Now, the reason I'm impressing that upon you is because of what we're talking about. The Lord, it says in Psalm 145 verse 13, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. So when Paul says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, he's not talking about the sort of hopes that we may have for Christmas or the hope we've got for the weather tomorrow or something like that. He's talking about our glorious hope, the hope of seeing the glory of Jesus Christ 
and seeing that face to face. That is what he's talking about. Jesus himself prayed in John 17, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, you, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. This hope is not an uncertain hope, but rather it rests upon the promises of God. Hence, we can boast about it because we can be confident in it. To be honest with you, this is not something that is very much seen in the church these days. We've pushed it to one side. Oh yeah, maybe. Maybe it's because our lives are just basically so comfortable. But we should have this hope, no matter what is going on around me, no matter what trials or tribulations I'm going through, I have this certain hope that not only has God made me right with himself, he is going to allow me to see his glory. And what is his glory? His glory is everything that there is within him, who he is, his character, all that he is. All of that is the glory of God. And it will be revealed. Psalm 19 verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. There's something about the magnificence of God that we perceive when we look up at the heavens. John 1 verse 14 declares, The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself is a full reflection of the glory of God. And you know what? That glory is seen in the cross. Philippians 2 verses 8 to 11. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day when Jesus will return to the earth. Mark 13 verse 26. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. His glory will be revealed to all mankind, but not everybody is going to be able to stand before it and be with him forever. And you know what? When that glory comes, we will be changed. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Not only us, but the whole of creation which is in bondage is going to be changed as well. Our hope is that God who keeps his promises is coming back so that we might be where he is forever. So we have peace with God. Because of our past forgiveness, we are standing in his grace, that's our present situation, and we will boast in the hope of the glory of God, that is our future inheritance. But Paul goes on to say we also rejoice in our sufferings. And when he's talking about us rejoicing in our sufferings, he's not just talking about the frustrations and the challenges of everyday life, our aches and our, the pains that we have in our bodies. Paul is talking about the opposition and the persecution of a world that is set against the purposes of God. And we know that Jesus himself warned us that in this world, 
you will have trouble, but fear not. Take heart. I have overcome the world. We need to understand that suffering, suffering is the pathway to glory. That was certainly true of Jesus, and it's true of us too. And though the end goal of of suffering is glory, as we walk in it now, it can help to develop our maturity. Because Paul writes, Romans 5 verses 3 and 4, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Suffering produces endurance. You know, as we go through suffering, we can't go through it without enduring it. There is something that we need to to put up with. We have to battle against. We have to keep going. Because, to be honest, if there was no endurance, if, if there was no suffering, there wouldn't be any need for endurance. But as we endure in the face of suffering, character is built within us. And as we continue to endure, our character is established and that character produces hope within us. And Paul goes on to say, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope remains firm because it's rooted in the love that God has for us. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And that love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know, we need a greater revelation of that love. Because not only does it bring freedom to us, freedom from the punishment of our sins, it's transforming. It gives us great confidence that God is for us, not against us. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We stand in his grace. And we have a hope of the future. And even though we're going through sufferings, that suffering is there that we may understand, be changed, grain in endurance. But we may know the love of God that has been put in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.